what started out as just like, this is just the way I'm going to make a little bit of money to make up the difference for this trip turned into this massive project. Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Vardy, and this week on the program, I'm joined by J.H. Bunting, otherwise known to me as Joe Bunting, and he is the author of Crowdsourcing Paris, uh, Memoirs of a Travel Adventure. Uh, we have a great time conversing during this episode. I, you know, I, I've not had Joe on the show before, and we've had a chance to hang out on multiple occasions at conferences all over uh, North America. Uh, J.H. Bunting, Joe, to me, is a best-selling writer, novelist, and a dad. He leads the Right Practice community, an award-winning community of creative writers. He lives in Atlanta, Georgia with his wife, Talia, and three kids and enjoys coffee, as I do, and Corpse Reviver number twos. We don't get into that, but we get into a lot of other things during this episode of the program, including the whole premise and why he wrote this book, among other things. But let's get to it. Here's my conversation with Joe, J.H. Bunting, here on the Productivityist Podcast. I'd like to welcome Joe Bunting to the Productivityist Podcast. Joe, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, it's my pleasure, Mike. All right. So I've never had you on the show before, which is totally bizarre because this should have happened a long time ago. <laughs> um, and it, it, you're not, it's weird because whenever I do these, it's like there's always somebody you know, that I'm like, why have you not been on the show before? I don't understand. But um, for those people who, uh, and we're going to go with the, the old rote kind of, you know, explanation, like for those who don't know who you are, uh, <laughs> that are listening to the show, um, we have some, we have some common friends, obviously, yeah. uh, which is why I'm saying, why have you not been on the show yet? But let's, let's uh, share a little bit about yourself. And then we're going to get into a rather, a book that you wrote, that I was like, really? Like it just was something mm -hmm. that I did not expect from you and, and yeah. get, dig into that as well as some of the productivity strategies or that, that can evolve from, from that, that very experience that you undertook. Yeah. So I am a writer. I mean, I think we first met each other at world domination summit out yep. in Portland. And I thought, who is this guy who is so cool and has all these people. And uh, I think we were at a burger pl place actually. Um, was it was, was it was little big was it little big burger i don't remember what it's called i'm like bad at names and it's like stuff, a little dinerish kind of place right yeah like a, it was it almost like be. a fast foodie kind of yeah yeah, yeah. And, and who else was there it was um oh my god i'm uh, i know like i'm gonna say and jeff and someone yeah. else oh yeah. i know where yeah i know where we were and matt matt Giovanisi was there and stuff like that i'm pretty yeah. sure yeah 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 so yeah i uh i'm a writer i've been writing for nine years and professionally and way many, way more years before that, uh, kind of semi-professionally and unprofessionally. And, um, you know, I got my start uh, actually ghostwriting, co-writing books for other people. And, uh, and that was really exciting and fun and a, a great apprenticeship process. But I've always wanted to write novels and memoir and creative work. Um, so I you know, had a website called, or I do have a website called The Right Practice, where I teach creative writing and writing productivity. Uh, and that was and, and has been kind of my apprenticeship to the writing process. And so in 2014, I started working on a book, um, kind of just because I wanted to start living in other places. Uh, I wanted to go to Paris with my wife. And at the time, 10 month old son. 
And I was $600 short of being able to make that trip happen. We were going to go for two months. We actually had the plane tickets already. We had an Airbnb booked and then it was canceled. And the only oh. one we could find was like twice as expensive. And we're like, we have to do this. We have to book this trip. So we booked it, but we were going to be $600 short. So I had to figure out like in a month how to make $600. So I decided to crowd fund this book. Uh, and what started out as just like, this is just the way I'm going to make a little bit of money to make up the difference for this trip turned into this massive project. Uh, the original idea I had for the book, uh, everyone I talked to about it said it was terrible. They said it would be a really boring book. And, uh, and I got feedback that it needed more adventure. And so I went to my audience and I asked them to suggest adventures for me. At the time, I think the right practice was being read by about 100,000 people a month. Uh, and so I had all of these adventure suggestions for things to do around Paris. Um, a lot of them were very strange, very uncomfortable. Yeah, there's uh, quite a few in here that as you go through the book, I'm like, yeah, some of them are. So I'm like, okay, I could do those. And I'm like, I'm not doing that. Yeah, <laughs> I had a lot of moments of like, I'm not going to do that. And then I sometimes did that and I sometimes failed at doing that. Um, so I kind of began this adventure journey. I ended up raising way more than I needed. A lot of that money went back into the adventures. Uh, and it became this really amazing experience of me getting outside of my comfort zone. And, um, and while we were there, you know, this trip that kind of just was about me traveling the world while writing became about me kind of this transformational experience. Um, I learned so much about myself, about my wife and my family. We actually, uh, it, it was kind of a hard experience, especially kind of this first time traveling with family, with a 10-month-old. Mm -hmm. And at the time, uh, we had one friend in Paris. And while we were there, uh, she actually tried to commit suicide. Oh, and that was this really tough, uh, emotional, but ultimately very redemptive and powerful experience. It actually became, uh, you know, after that, one of the best things that happened uh, for us. And I think what for her as well is kind of this awakening and, and chance to get really real. Um, and so that's all in the memoir. Uh, I took, it took five years to write this memoir. Yeah. I During mean, that time oof. I uh, wrote, you know, 12 books, I think, uh, but there was this one creative project that I was working on and uh, I finally finished it. So it feels really amazing to have it out in the world finally. Yeah, because when you were talking about the book with me and we emailed and then when it came out, there was a lot more from coming from you. I think there's a lot more fanfare than mm -hmm. in recent stuff. And I guess one of the questions I want to ask right away before we get into some of the details of the book is how um, shifting gears or doing something yeah. that kind of is a little bit, uh, let's not say out of your lane, but aligned, like just slightly off the beaten path a bit. You know, like yeah. for example, um, as we're recording this, we're in NaNoWriMo and uh, mm. Ryan McRae, who we both know, yeah. is participating in NaNoWriMo and he's largely been known in the past as the ADHD nerd and now he's doing more gaming stuff and now he's writing a novel. And I know that other mutual friends of ours are also, you know, 
diving into fiction mm. um, with with uh, or just doing something completely you know different. Like I'm spending a bit more time doing video than writing lately, which is still aligned, but it's a different way of kind of um, sharing experience. What? How? How did it? I mean, obviously, it feels great to get it out there. But how important is it for you to kind of yeah. revitalize and rejuvenate yourself when you kind of like, is there a staleness that takes place? And is this one kind of one of the things you did to kind of, um, you know, lift yourself you know, up or, or revitalize yourself in your, in, in your writing? Yeah, I think there's this temptation to just do one thing and become known as that one guy who is really good and really well known for doing one thing. And I think there's a lot of power in that. You know, when mm -hmm. I, when I talk to my agent or, uh, you know, a publisher about all of the random books that I want to write, I had one agent, for example, uh, my agent tell me, you know, when you talk about these other books that you want to write that are outside of this genre that you're working on now, it's like every publisher's nightmare because, <laughs> They want you to fit into a box yep. that they can easily market, so you can be that guy. Um, and you know, for a while, for a long time, uh, uh, that really held me back. I felt like I needed to stay focused on this one thing, and if I created something else, it would actually be like starting over and creating this whole new thing. And I do think that that's true in a lot of ways. It is hard when you're branching off into another area. Um, but, you know, I, I, would, I have oh, three kids and yeah. uh, they love children's books. And I was looking through kind of the, the collection of books that this one author that they really like has. And she's kind of an award-winning uh, children's book author. She's running, she's written, you know, dozens of award-winning books and I'm blanking on her name right now. So that's not very helpful. But uh, I was looking at all of the books she had written and apparently like I, I thought she was best known for these, these like kind of couple of very literary books where she won all these awards, but she had actually written over a hundred books and a lot wow. of them were part of these series and a lot of them were very commercial, you know, mm -hmm. and uh kind of childish and, and not literary, uh, more fun, probably inevitably more successful. Um, but she had become known for these kind of collections of very literary books. And I think about Mark Twain, you know, uh, I used him a lot during uh, my uh, research for this memoir because he was actually best known as a travel writer yep. during his lifetime. He wrote a book called The Innocence Abroad. It was actually a series published in a newspaper in San Francisco. So he, he uh, was just beyond famous, like so famous for being this travel writer. Yeah, he wrote a, a, a books on Hawaii. Like, like when I yeah. was in Hawaii, it's like, oh, I want to pick up some books because it was about that, right? And, and even... I mean, there's some reruns of the show Bonanza where they show mm -hmm. like Mark Twain was like, he was a, he was a journalist for a while too, right? Like that's what he, you know, so, but we don't think of him that way. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. And then his novels were kind of an afterthought. He wrote most of them, you know, in his forties, fifties, sixties, like uh, later in life, uh, he was not very famous for his novels. They didn't sell particularly well. He did a ton of public speaking. That's kind of how he made all his money. And, uh, and he wrote these novels on the side. And now 
the novels are what he's known for. Yeah. Um, but back then, they weren't how he made his money. And I think we put ourselves in boxes and to we limit ourselves. And it's actually a mistake. Short term, that might make you more successful. It might be easier for people to understand what you're trying to do. Um, but I think, you know, a lot of our lives and a lot of our work is kind of like seeds. You're kind of scattering seeds. Mm-hmm. You're trying to do, uh, you know, what you feel called to do, what you feel like you need to do, what you feel like is right, and also what you're supposed to do. And you just put your work out there in the world and you see what grows. And some of those things won't grow for 30 years. And that's okay. Uh, but the important thing is that you're doing the work and you're putting it out into the world. Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. Okay, we're going to take a break from the conversation now, but when we come back, the first thing we're going to dive into is the idea of, wait for it, patience. But before we get into that, I want you to think a bit about patience and how challenging it can be to be patient when it comes to dealing with the elements of running your own business. Now, when you are running your own business, you're used to doing it all. But if you're struggling to get through your to-do list, HoneyBook can help. When you started your business, did you dream about all of those admin tasks, like drafting proposals and contracts, tracking down payments? Yeeks. Well, if that wasn't part of your vision, then you need HoneyBook. HoneyBook is an online business management tool that organizes your client communications, bookings, contracts, and invoices all in one place. HoneyBook makes it simple to run your business better. Professional templates, e-signatures, and built-in automation keeps everything on track and makes you look good. And they can even consolidate services that you already use, like QuickBooks, Google Suite, Excel, and MailChimp or Gmail, all that stuff. It's the number one choice for client and business management for freelancers and business owners. You can save time and do more of what you love with HoneyBook. Now, I've only started to scratch the surface of what HoneyBook can do um, because it's one of those things where it's there is that, that resistance to jumping into it. But from what I can tell so far, HoneyBook is really helping me with, with these things, and it's only going to get better from here. Now, right now, HoneyBook is offering Productivity's podcast listeners 50% off when you visit HoneyBook.com slash TimeCrafting. Now, payment is flexible, and this promotion applies whether you pay monthly or annually. So I want you to go to HoneyBook.com slash TimeCrafting for 50% off of your first year. That's HoneyBook.com slash TimeCrafting. Give HoneyBook a go. You'll be glad you did. Now let's talk about calendars and actually specifically really powerful calendars. Well, there's really only one that I want to talk to you about and it's Woven Calendar. Woven Calendar features powerful scheduling tools built into a smart, collaborative 
Calendar, and I absolutely love what Woven is doing for me. Woven Calendar is designed for people like you, busy professionals who want to make the most of their time. They're tired of wasting time sending emails back and forth to find times to meet. They want to make scheduling with clients and teams easy and hassle-free. And now that I'm digging back into the coaching element of my business as we get ready to start a new calendar year, that's important to me. And you want a calendar that's smart, collaborative, and designed to work the way that you work. Well, with Woven's built-in powerful scheduling tools like Woven Smart Templates, Scheduling Links, and Group Polls, it's an absolute breeze to find times to meet, and Woven nearly eliminates email back and forth. Recently, I sent out an email to a bunch of the people that subscribe to my attention email newsletter, which I'll link to in the show notes. And uh, I was able to give them a scheduling link so that they could book a time to do some exploratory calls with me with regards to coaching. Woven allowed me to make that happen. And again, the, the real, real power behind Woven is 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 all of these smart, smart elements, this, these powerful scheduling tools. And if you're an iOS user, oh my goodness, the the Siri shortcuts I'm digging into the, via voice command. You can schedule via voice command. Siri actually just went on as I was doing this right now, and I could have used Woven in that case. Hey, and also there's the dedicated iMessage app, so you can schedule via text. There's so much that Woven has to offer, and I want it to be offered to you as a Productivity Podcast listener. So add Woven to your productivity stack and schedule faster than ever before by going to woven.com slash timecrafting. Use the calendar app that I've been using for months. Start using it today. Woven.com slash timecrafting. I know you'll be in love with it. I absolutely adore Woven and I can't wait to see what you get out of Woven as well. So again, woven.com slash timecrafting. Give it a try today. All right, now let's get back to my conversation with J.H. Joe Bunting here on the Productivity Podcast. Let's talk about patience because this book, you said five years, five, five years is, and we live in a world where instantaneous appreciation or instantaneous um, acclaim is something that we could, we could get if we, you know, you writing that's, and, and we'll get into the whole writing a book piece because um, writing a book, that's one of the hard parts about writing a book is that you have to hold on to these things until they're in this collection it's also different. Writing a book is very different than blogging, but you could post a blog post or even more uh, sale, like quickly post a social media update and mm. boom, you get that instant feedback and possible acclaim and possible. You just, you get that and you get that instant hit of dopamine too, right? Yeah, that instant totally. like, I did it. I did it. Mm-hmm. How did you stave that? Because I mean, you've, this is a passion project for you. This is something you want yeah. to do. I and mean, obviously you you had to map it out, but how did you kind of stay patient along the path with this? Because there's, you know, that that's a hard thing to do. Yeah, no, I didn't do a great job being patient with it. Uh, that's <laughs> probably why it took so long. Um, yeah, you know, it takes a long time to write a draft of a book. Yes. And then you have to write a second and third and, you know, fourth and fifth draft. Um, I think the thing that always worked best and has always worked best for me in writing books. This is my probably 12th book, Mm -hmm. Um, mostly not under my own name. Uh, But what works best is to have kind of deadlines and and usually kind of on the shorter end, um, you know, for this book, I had written a ton on the book and I was kind of stalled out and Tim Grawl, who is a mutual friend of ours. Yeah, he's been on the show uh, as well. Yep. So yeah, he was, you know, asking me, like, do you actually want to finish this book? And I said, Well, yeah, obviously, but I'm just stuck on all these different things. And he's like, No, no, no. Here's what you need to do. You need to write a check 
for $1,000 and give it to a charity that you hate. And so this was during the 2016 U.S. presidential election. <laughs> I think yep. I know where this is going. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so I decided to write a check to the presidential candidate I most disliked, who shall remain nameless. Yep. That's fine. That's good. That's good. You know, the thing, 50% one way, 50% the other. Yep. So it's best to leave it right down the middle. <laughs> yep. So I wrote this check and I gave it to a friend. And I was the most focused I'd ever been. I finished the book in nine weeks. And, uh, and it was such an amazing experience. Also kind of a depressing experience because this thing that I had been working on for so long was kind of done and it wasn't as good as I thought it would be and wanted it to be. Uh, but it was also so exciting. But I don't know, there's this weird kind of grieving process. I, well, I feel and it's like going to be altered. Go it's going to be altered too, right? Like you finished yeah. it. And then like what you hand in is not necessarily what you're going to get back. There's this whole, and there's this waiting, right? Like, yeah. you know, you're waiting for the feedback from your editor from, totally. you know, uh, if you're, if you're trying to get a book deal, you're waiting for, uh, if it's, if it's a proposal, which I hate writing, I hate, ugh, I'd rather write the book. Because proposals yeah. are just like, here's the proof that this book will do well, as opposed to, here, read the book, read, the book will be good, like, here, read it. And even though fiction authors, when I, and I have a friend of mine who's written several fiction books, and we had this conversation in New York, and he's like, I hate the fact that you, that you, you despise writing a book proposal where I would love to do that because I have to write the entire book to sell it on. I can't just submit like, this is the idea that I want to yeah. do because fiction writers don't get that luxury until they've, you know, obviously it's like filmmakers, filmmakers have to pitch and pitch. And then eventually they say, here's my idea. And it's like a, a quick log line. And because they've been successful, like here, here's some money, go do it. Right. Mm. So, so yeah, but the idea that you, you're letting it go, like you said, and it's not what you, it's, it's that whole idea of done is better than perfect, but then you have to wait yeah. the patience part to get it back to say, here's what I really liked or Go back to the drawing board. Tim talked right. about this too, because Tim, when he was on the show, said, you know, when he wrote "Running Down, uh, Running Down a Dream," he handed in his book, and they're like, "Yeah, this is not no." Like, and he had to basically almost go back to the drawing board, right? Yeah. So that's that's a you're that's really, hard. and you don't get that instant like this isn't good, and you're like, okay, well, it's going to pass, right? Like a blog post, I can I can I can delete a blog post, I can modify it, I, the social media post will go away, I can update yeah. a YouTube video. Once a book's out there, this has been one of my challenging parts, and we'll, and the the writing process process has been hard. Is with time crafting, once that book's there, like once I've said this is the system, that's this. I, I'm drawing a yeah, line in the sand. Done. Like I, that's it. So, um, when you were putting stuff in the book, like the challenges, um, obviously there, the, were they all in the book? Were the, I mean, I've 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 written, I've read, a, a, you know, a good chunk of the book, um has has all of the like all the challenges you undertook were they mm -hmm. all did they all make the cut did they all like yeah yeah so i you know was given over a hundred suggestions for adventures to do mm -hmm. in paris and while i was there i picked 10 or so and then i ended up doing an extra couple um and uh you know I, I tried to, you know, just share in the book. I try to just share every experience that I have with those adventures. Some of them failed miserably. Right. Um, and I had to kind of adapt and make something out of it, uh, which was actually part of 
the fun of, of the process. Uh, and some of them, you know, went amazingly. Like I had this one uh, adventure, which was to explore the 170 or so miles of catacombs and tunnels below Paris. And I thought, you know, there, there are the catacombs, the catacomb museum, uh, which is in Paris. And you can go see that. It's like 15 euro or something. But there are also these illegal, unsanctioned catacombs that you can only get to if you have a cataphile. And a cataphile is just like a, a guide. It's kind of the secret society of people who really love the tunnels. It's like a Sherpa. Paris. It's like exactly. the Sherpa. <laughs> It's like exactly. a Parisian Sherpa. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, there's no web page for them. Like, they, they don't offer their services openly. It's kind of illegal. So uh, I had to find one. And I asked my audience to help me find one. And they connected me to this guy. And that guy never happened. Like, he fell through. And it wasn't until it was like two or three or four weeks before I was supposed to leave Paris where I randomly, I was actually at a poetry reading meetup and I connected with the co-founder of the group and he, I was explaining the book to him and he gave me the name of this person. And I'm like, I know that person. I know that cataphile. And it turned out he is actually the most famous cataphile in the world, has been featured in National Geographic and the Wall Street Journal and NPR and all the things. And he, I emailed him and he agreed to take me into the catacombs. So that was a crazy experience of something really not working at first and then kind of coming through at the last minute, actually on the last night I was in Paris, he agreed to take me into the catacombs. Um, and we were down there from like 11 at night till about four, three, three thirty in the morning. Uh, we got lost. I actually got separated from him. I thought I was going to die. I actually only had the smallest flashlight in the world, which was not very effective for navigating <laughs> the catacombs alone. <laughs> um, so it was this crazy adventure experience uh, and one of the most exciting things that happened to me while I was there. So I want to shift gears and go circle back to the idea of, you know, you talked about when you sent off that check, had that external accountability, which by the way, I think is some of the best external accountability you can yeah. do because it doesn't require a ton from the other person because they got their own stuff going on. So right. just give them like this, hey, this check that says, hey, give this to this fund that I'm not a fan of or give this or, you know, whatever. Um, by the way, I think we're in, you're, you guys are in a cycle right now where that could happen. So if you're American, <laughs> you're listening right now or British actually, because I think British are, we're done in Canada. We just had ours. Yep. But if you're British or American, you've got an opportunity to try that once again. Um, there was this, uh, there, it's almost like an act of desperation to a certain extent, right? Like mm -hmm. this idea of, okay, I need to get this done. Here's what I can do. And you talked about that right off the top where you said like, you needed $600. Like there's, yeah. you've already booked everything. What, when, when you are, what role does panic and desperation for yeah. you? Like, is that, is that a productivity kind of um, like a, a, like a prod for you? Like, it's like, okay, um, it, it's one of those tactics that seems to work pretty well. And maybe share uh, some other examples of maybe that, that moment of uh, where, where that, those acts of panic and desperation have served you in, in, you know, in having three kids and all that stuff. I mean, you've got a busy life. Yeah. So is that one tactic that you've tended to employ on several occasions? Yeah. I, you know, there's that quote, 
the secret to doing great work is uh, a great plan and not quite enough time, right? Mm-hmm. And that's definitely been true for me. Like just having not quite enough time has been really important for me and my productivity. I think everyone's different. Hopefully mm-hmm. not everyone is as reliant on panic as I am. But I look back at my life, you know, even through school and realize like this is, you know, been something that's been true. I've always been deadline driven. I've always kind of uh, consequences have been important to me. So instead of fighting that and pretending that I'm going to be this very productive, disciplined person, let's just use that and uh, use it to accomplish uh, my goals, my strategic goals, right? Yeah. So uh, I've always tried to set deadlines and create consequences. Uh, You know, I've written 12 books. Writing a book takes a lot of discipline, have, you know, good habits, all of those things. And the way I've done that is really uh, because I've had to, you know, a lot of these were paid assignments. I was working with another author. If I didn't show up and do the work, that person would be really upset. Uh, I might lose the client and, you know, I, I wouldn't get paid. And so it's very important for me and my family to get that done. And so taking that same idea into my own projects and my own creative work, um, where, you know, I didn't, I mean, one of the reasons why it took five years was because there was no one looking over my shoulder to make sure I showed up and did the work. I thought that I would be like driven by inspiration that the book would essentially write itself because I was so excited about the project. And I was excited the project about the project, but you know, it wasn't going to write itself. It still took discipline. It still took showing up all the time. And so having that, like you said, external accountability, uh, fear and desperation was really important to build in. And this is something I teach now to other writers who are working on novels and memoir and nonfiction books uh, for their own projects is just create a consequence. And if you can set a deadline, but don't a a deadline alone isn't enough, you know, Mm. because you can just watch deadlines go by Douglas easily. Adams. I love the set. What's that quote by Douglas? I love deadlines. The sound that they make by as the they go by. It's yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, do you believe in willpower? Because I mean, there's this fear consequence and I mean, yeah. you, you clearly, I mean, we're doing this via video uh, mainly because and, and spoiler alert, uh, this is going to appear a little bit earlier than you're listening to it because my daughter is here. It's like, bring your kid to work day. So she's, like kind of chronicling this. So I've got video going on and you can see the Green Lantern stuff. Like you can see right there. And I mean, you, I'm a big willpower guy. Benjamin yeah. Hardy, we've had this conversation. I mean, his book, Willpower Doesn't Work, clearly mm. not a willpower person. <laughs> Even near yeah. yell when I talked to him about Indistractable. Are you, are you, do you believe in willpower? Yeah, I do. Um, I, I kind of think it is a limited resource and there's so much to have willpower for. You have to have, you have to point your willpower somewhere, you know? And so for me, a lot of times it's just, hey, do you have a, the willpower enough to set a deadline or create a plan? Or, you know, one thing that works really well for me when I need to get writing done is I just set a three minute timer and I try to write as much as I can 
in three minutes. And then I kind of write down how many words I wrote in that three minutes. And then I set my three minute timer again and I see if I can beat my score, you know? So those are, it's a little hack, but, um, you know, sometimes the only willpower I have is to set the three minute timer. Right. Right. And yep. so, uh, I, I think we do have willpower and yet I also recognize that in my own life, my willpower is not like the strongest thing in the world. Uh, all of the distractions around me are just as strong, if not stronger many times. And so I need to be, uh, cautious about trusting myself too much and put in instead some guardrails, right. like setting a three minute timer or, or just a, giving myself something to really focus me like a consequence, which in, in, you know, brings that fear and desperation. And when you're afraid, when you're desperate, like you get really focused. Yeah. 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 You have well, to get it done. Well, and I think the other thing too, is you, you, we talked about this earlier about the idea of we do things and we tend to put ourselves in these boxes, the boxes better, the boxes we should be worried about is the framework, like the system that yeah. we put in place so that we can explore things outside of our, our zone. Like you, you, you mentioned, I mean, obviously going to Paris, it's a different environment and there's plenty of things to distract you. If that's your, if you're, I mean, and obviously you had put in place these parameters where those things weren't distractions. They were just part of the experience. How how um, beneficial was was going to Paris and this experience of you know kind of chronicling it to a degree, but more so living it. How beneficial was that to your productivity? Because it's you're going somewhere else, and it's almost like this. Uh, I guess it's like a workation of sorts, right? So how yeah. how did how did that benefit your productivity at the time, and then when you returned home from the experience? Sure, and I I would just say like I think there's something powerful about travel and adventure mm. to disrupt your productivity actually to right. actually take all the things that you're doing all the busyness that you have and just kind of like put an axe through it and destroy it all um because out of that experience uh, so many new interesting things can emerge mm -hmm. you know i think we can really easy easily get locked into the busyness and right. trying to accomplish a lot of things mm -hmm. that are actually ultimately not that important. True. Um, and the cool thing about travel, and this was true for me, is that, you know, if you're away from all of that and your routines and your habits and the things that make your life busy, you can reimagine what's important to you, what your priorities are really are. And so I've done this experience, you know, going to Paris uh, five or so times, you know, twice it was abroad, three times it was to California where I have family. Right. And every time so much has come from that, so much creativity, uh, it's kind of transformed my work, my priorities. It's really uh, helped me figure out what I value mm -hmm. and what I want to focus on. And it hasn't been a particularly productive time. I mean, you do get work done in these kind of workation adventures, like I call them, mm -hmm. uh, especially when there are deadlines and you know, you have to get done stuff done. Uh, but what it's even more important for is just kind of getting out of it and uh, rethinking what your work is for and what you really want to do. 
Yeah, you like you like you untether yourself from the norms, so you can go. Okay, this so there's nothing encumbering that. Like you know, I mean, whenever I travel, and I missed that this past year where I didn't get to go to a lot of conferences. Like we didn't get to see each other at anything this year because I didn't go to Tribe, yeah. uh, I didn't go to WDS. I think I saw you at Convert. No, I wasn't even there. So I wasn't there either. I didn't go any of these. And then obviously with the book this year, I will be going to more this coming year. So we'll be able to connect again in person, which will be awesome because it's always fun to hang out with you. I have one more question before we wrap up. Sure. And this is for the parents that you got three kids. Yeah. When you, there are a lot of people, there's these biases that show up, right? This idea like, oh, I can't do an adventure like this. I've got kids. I've got this. I've got that. You went to Paris with a 10 month old. Yeah. <laughs> you, by the way, when you were in the, the catacombs, you're probably thinking, and I'm going to be leaving my wife with a 10 month old and, yep. and, and dealing with all this, this is going to be, what, what would you say to them uh, about this idea that oh, I can't do it? Like travel, like it's just, I can't do it. Uh, the, why would I bring it? Cause most people think about Paris and they're like, Oh, I got to wait till my kids are older. Even New yep. York city. Like, uh, you know, I got to wait till they're older because uh, they're not going to appreciate it. And da, 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 da. what do you say? What do you say to that? And how, what advice would you give to people who are thinking, Hey, you know, I'm thinking about this trip, but I've got these kids and how do I, how do I make it work? Yeah. And I, I really think everyone should go on one of these workation adventure travel experiences. Uh, because like I said, it really does reshift your values. Mm-hmm. Um, I spent so much more time with my family because I went, and did this travel, uh, and and I still was able to keep up with my job, and it kind of shows you that you are able to accomplish those things. I think one thing uh, that is so important for growth is contradiction. You know, this idea that when you and and challenge too, mm-hmm. like getting outside of your comfort zone, kind of having things that don't really make sense for your current framework. Like I can't accomplish this with where I am now. Right. Uh, But if you try to accomplish it, you know, if you try to grow, then you can be so much more effective, not just for now, but for the rest of your life, you know? And that's what it's always been for me. When I have traveled with my kids, I thought there's no way I could handle that. Um, And then we figured out a way and it wasn't always easy, but it was always really good. And I think my family uh, has grown so much stronger. Our values have grown so much deeper because we've had these experience experiences together. Um, so there are definitely like tactical solutions that you can do. Uh, one simple thing we did last summer was we had a bunch of extra airline miles. Yep. And we were going to Bordeaux and Paris mm-hmm. for two months, a little bit more. And so we flew out my wife's cousin Um, and, you know, we paid for all our food, but we didn't pay her, you know, she's family and she got a free trip to Europe Mm -hmm. and she watched our kids during the day. And it was a a really great win-win for everyone. Um, So just thinking of creative ways like that, you know, I know people who have gotten their kids into childcare outside of the country and that might take a little bit more rearranging. Um, and kind of learning uh, research, but it's totally possible. Um, And it's amazing what you can accomplish when you just try and when you work at it and and find solutions. One of the things that we did when we had our kids early on, because our kids are older now, is we took advantage of that 
you fly, you don't have to pay for them until they're two years old. Exactly. You got to do that because it gives you the, the budget, uh, budgetary reasons fly out the window. Yes. There's always that like, Oh my God, I'm going to be some, you've, if you got two of you, you you know, and you're on an eight hour flight, you just do, you you take shifts. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I went with my daughter, uh, was it like two years ago? We went to, um, I think two years ago we went to California, right? Yeah. I think it was two years ago. We went down to vid summit three years, almost three years ago, went down to vid summit and it was just me and her. And actually, I'm actually talking about going on a trip with my son too. So I think that's awesome. another thing too, is I think the adventures yeah. can be with, go with, go with, uh, sometimes like, I know that, uh, Grant Baldwin, who's a friend of ours, he goes with, his, he does trips with just his kids and she, you know, his wife just stayed, you know, the, and vice versa, his wife goes. And I think, I think those kind of things are important too. I think mixing it up, like you said, con- contradiction and challenge, I think is a really good, like something that is, and rather unconventional, hmm. um, I think is really, really powerful. But if you've got young kids and you're like, uh, really think about that. Cause it, once they hit two, all of a sudden they're an airline ticket and it just changes yep. the game a little bit. So yep. get that. I mean, as hard as it may seem. Um, and while they like, Oh, they won't remember the experience. My son the other day was talking about something that he had when he was three. Like, oh, I got this when I was three. He's nine now. So you can't necessarily predict what your kids are going to necessarily, the impact it's going to have on them too, right? Yeah, there are so many details that you have to figure out if you're going to do one of these trips. And um, and it, it's a lot to figure out and learn and, and manage. Um, and it, you know, it, it's taken us a long time to really hone our system of traveling sure. with our kids. Uh, but it's been so rewarding. I actually created a worksheet uh, just for your listeners. So uh, if you want to have kind of a kind of a structured way of thinking through how to create one of these workation adventure experiences with your family or uh, just yourself or with your spouse or partner or whatever, um, you can go to joebunting.com slash productivityist and get a free worksheet there. Um, hopefully that will be helpful uh, for all of your listeners, Mike, to create an experience like that for themselves. That, that's great. Thanks so much for this. Where where can people pick up the book and keep up with your work other than getting that worksheet, which I think is going to be hugely beneficial? Yeah. So the book is all over, all on all the bookstores online. Um, and make sure to look for J.H. Bunting, mm-hmm. uh, which is my pen name for this project. Um, yeah, it's called Crowdsourcing Paris, uh, Memoirs of a Travel Adventure. You can get it on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and IndieBound and all the things. Joe, thanks so much for joining me today on the Productivious Podcast. Yeah, thanks so much, Mike. This was great. And that's how the interview went down. You know, I, I've not ended the podcast that way in a while. It reminds me of the old creative screenwriting podcast that I used to listen to when he goes, and that's how it all went down. Well, that's how it all went down with J.H. Bunting, my friend Joe. Uh, I want you to check out the show notes. Again, you can find those at productivityist.com slash podcast 272, and you can get all of the stuff that we talked about, including his book, which I encourage you to pick up. My daughter, as we were recording that that discussion, my daughter was with me, and it was the bring your daughter to work day thing. I'll link to that video because I I vlogged it in the show notes as well. And uh, she was reading the book. She really liked it. And I know you'll like it too. So check out everything that that you can possibly imagine that we talked about in the show notes. Go to that link that I just mentioned. Um, I mentioned the Creative Screenwriting Podcast because it's a podcast I used to listen to. Well, let's talk about my Productivity is Podcast Pick of the Week. And this is a show, a podcast actually, based on a show, which I 
really didn't watch when it first came out, but now I'm absolutely obsessed with. And it's The Good Place, the podcast. If you've not watched The Good Place, um, it's one of the few television programs that I watch on a regular basis. Like I record it. I'm actually quite lucky as, as this week as this, uh, you know, as, as, as we're, you know, kind of getting this episode ready. Uh, it won't be on this week because of the, uh, the Thanksgiving holiday in the United States, but uh, The Good Place is a fantastic show. And the podcast, it's a companion podcast that I really enjoy because it breaks down the creative process. Um, and it's hosted by the guy who plays Sean, Mark Evan Jackson. Um, there's a, a rotating slate of co-hosts and, and special guests. The actors are on it from time to time. It, it's it's a longer podcast, it's, but not out of the realm. They're generally anywhere is between you know, 49 to an hour and a half, depending. But you don't have to listen to it all at once, but it's really worth listening, especially if you want to see how the show gets made, the, the things that go behind the show. Um, they've talked to Michael Schur, who created it. Lots of great stuff here. So if you're a fan of The Good Place or you're just a fan of the creative process, I highly encourage you to check out The Good Place, the podcast. Uh, it is my productivity as podcast pick of the week. And that's it for this episode. I want to thank you for joining me. If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a rating, a review in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you're listening to podcasts. I would really appreciate it. And make sure you don't miss a single episode by subscribing in the podcast app that you are using to listen to this podcast right now. Or if, of course, you go to the website where I host these, you can also subscribe from there as well. I'm really, really happy you joined me today. I hope I'll see you next time. Until then, I'm Mike Barty, the host of the Productivity is Podcast, reminding you to stop guessing and start going. See you later.